I'm not supposed to give an announcement right now, but I just forgot one, a really important one. On Monday, we have a new class starting in a faraway place called Marsabit uh, that will be opening very soon. So continue to pray for those brothers and sisters out there uh, in Kenya. Uh, what a joy for us to be involved in God's work around the globe. If you've been with us, we've been uh, in 1 Peter chapter, uh, we've been going through 1 Peter, and we are in chapter 2. And as we looked into chapter 2, and as we saw in, in chapter 1, this is the, the lead up, uh, this is a theological basis for the book of 1 Peter, where Peter is writing to the church in Asia, which is modern day Turkey, and telling the church there that they need to know who they are in Jesus Christ. And that they are about to face some persecution. Things are going to get rough there. And so as he's sharing with them, he's telling them that they should have their eyes and their hearts and their minds focused on the hope that is to come. This glorious hope that is Jesus Christ. So the first chapter and a half are a theological basis for how we should be and think of ourselves and think of the world around us. And then as we launch into chapter 2, what is happening, which is not unusual for the, the uh, New Testament authors, they give the theological basis and then they say, well, then this is how you should live your lives. So he begins by saying in the first chapter and half that we are God's chosen people. We are exiles, but we are chosen exiles. That we are kings and queens, that we are part of this family of God. There is great hope that is to come, and there is great hope for, for us even now. And if that be the case, if we are, among all the living, some people who are highly honored and favored in God's sight, how then should we live? How should we live within institutions and places where uh, they, there, is, there are leaders who are not faithful to the things of God? How should we live? And among those institutions, among those places. How are we going to manage, uh, live out our position and our power and our place as those who are children of God, as those who have an, an eternal inheritance, as those who carry the familial name of our God? How are we going to live? As those who carry them in the as those who carry within them the power and the presence of God, as those who carry a passport for a different kind of kingdom, a passport that documents our eternal address and gives us all kinds of promises and rights and freedoms and responsibilities to another kingdom. How will we live in this kingdom? Chosen exiles that we are as those who are promised God's provisions and God's care. We must discover who we are, whose we are, and who we report to. And now we've been given the same ministry as Jesus, the ministry of reconciliation, reconciling this world to our God. So he's called us out as these priests, this royal priesthood. And so now we walk in that priesthood and we walk 
on this earth and we're reconciling the lost. We're reconciling each other to this God. We serve as these priests in this royal dwelling, this holy dwelling. But then how should we live within human institutions given our lofty position? Augustine, our, the church father, was asked, what are the three most important traits, characteristics of a Christian? Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful for your word to us today. We ask that you would speak to us. And Lord, as these uh, words in many ways grind on us <laughs> and are uncomfortable, Lord, we, we ask for your revelation and we ask to be illuminated today of your truths so we might live in them. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. If Brad Beavers at, at Beavers Real Estate had an opening, and I think he always has an opening for a new realtor, if he were to get an application from Mark Cuban, do you know who Mark Cuban is? He is a billionaire, owns the Dallas Mavericks, and is on Shark Tank, probably the most important thing. On T, he made it on TV, and he is a, an investor, and so he's really sharp guy. If he were to apply to be a part of Beaver's Real Estate, as Brad looked over these applications, he had to think to himself, this could be the best thing ever that could happen to my business. Or it could be the worst thing that ever happened to my business, right? Because if, if Mark Cuban came to work for Brad and, and to expand his business, he could either come and, and bring his influence, his intelligence, and his contacts, and he could make the business great, or he could come as Mark Cuban and, and tear things up, right? And, and when, when, when there were staff meetings, and, and Brad would call all the staff together, all the realtors, and they would go over uh, principles and practices and things like this, and Mark Cuban said, I don't need to go. I'm Mark Cuban. What's he going to do to me? Fire me? You know, he could have that attitude and that would be a great problem. It'd not only be a great problem for those who worked in the office, because why does he get to do this and not me? But when he goes to close a house and he doesn't know the rules, he goes to close a contract and he doesn't know the law, he could really mess things up. Now, on the other hand, if he were to say, I really want this to succeed for this brother, and he comes and he shows up early, shows up on time, he works hard, he follows the law, he does all the things that are required. He ends up being a great buddy to those who are in the office. He could, he could do really well for, for Brad. But why would he do that? He, he has all the money he needs, right? He doesn't need this job to be somebody. Are you with me? So here we are as the Mark Cubans in the spiritual world, my friends. We have all the promises of God. We have a God who has promised us that he will care for us in every circumstance. So we walk into these human institutions 
And we are made men and women, not because of our own skills and abilities, but because we worship the God of all creation. So as we walk into these different institutions, we can either be the greatest thing that's ever happened to them, or we can be a miserable lot of people. We can ruin them. Verse 13 says, be subject to the Lord, for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Not for the human institution's sake, but for the Lord's sake. Whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. This section of First Peter chapter 2 has three be subjects right in a row. And he's applying this be subject to three different human institutions. The first human institution is the government. The second one is employment or slavery. And the other is marriage. And he could have gone on and placed this, uh, made an application to all kinds of institutions. But he, he's chose these as kind of uh, a summary of the institutions in which we are engaged. Our institutions have even changed since then. He could have included the rest of the family. He could have said, uh, as, as we see in, uh, in Ephesians, that uh, as Paul said, that, that the children would be subject to their parents. He could have gone there. But he just, he just did these three. But he also could say other human institutions, whether it's organizations that we belong to, even the dreaded home o homeowners organization, association. He could even say Little League Baseball. And now you're really uncomfortable, aren't you? Be subject to every human institution? He starts off at the, the most powerful, what is to, whether it be the emperor or whether it be the governor, be subject to these leaders. Not just the institution, but you're to be subject to the leaders. And he's saying within God's scope of things, these leaders are put in place for a reason. They have the power to both uh, uh, to enforce the laws and to encourage the, the following of those laws. I know already there are people who are raising their hands. Wait a minute. They're maybe not on the outside, but on the inside. But wait a minute. You don't know our emperor, right? <laughs> you don't know our governor. Hold up. These, these uh, leaders that you're talking about are inherently wrong, right? Yet... This is no surprise to Peter as he's writing it. The, the leaders that he's, follow, he's following, he falls under, are far worse than ours even. I know it's hard to believe. They're far worse. They're crazy. Nero, crazy. So when he says these things, he's saying with an application that you and I can make as well today. This is really hard for us as Americans, I believe. We take our freedom seriously, don't we? I mean, our freedoms have been won at a great price, and a great price to many people. 
They have been maintained and upheld and continue to be so at a great price to many people. We are free to assemble, free to protest, free to bear arms, free to say just about whatever we want to say, free to criticize, freedom of press, freedom to speak against the governors and the kings, right? And to speak against presidents who can suppress, governors that can suppress, governments that can suppress. We have those freedoms. We have the freedom to demonstrate and have our opinions be known. We are a nation that has been shaped by civil disobedience, right? From the Boston Tea Party to sit-ins to the Freedom Riders. And then there's Texas. We stand on our own. Rugged individualism. And then you have rural Texas. Oh, my goodness. Nobody can tell us nothing. But as Christians, we can miss the mark with these freedoms. And we can miss the mark in two different directions. We can believe because we are of a different kingdom that none of the rules here apply to us. This government that we are under doesn't apply to us. We are free. We belong to another kingdom. And it is true. We are from another kingdom. We don't have to obey the laws. And so that leads to, can lead to violent protests, can lead to lawlessness. This can lead to a kind of pragmatism that says, I'd rather ask for forgiveness rather than permission. Uh-oh. After all, we don't really owe anything to the government. This misses the mark. On the other end, we can mistakenly believe that this government is the kingdom of God. And as God's kingdom, we should build it up as that kingdom. The government's success is the kingdom's success. That rightness is synonymous with the kingdom of God. Faith is in working out of the institution. This too misses the mark. We do have a place as those who are governed. We are to be the best kind of citizens. We know our rights, but we engage in our responsibilities. We work towards the good of the community. We can admit that when we are wrong and we can seek to make restitution. We follow the laws because our Lord has told us to do it. We are free. But we don't need to fear the wrath of a president or a governor because they cannot take away the things that are most precious. We're free. But don't let our freedoms, don't let our freedoms cause us to miss the mark. Verse 17 says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Now, if you, to really kind of get the sense of this, there is a, a way of, of poetry that happens uh, throughout uh, the Old Testament and bleeds into the New Testament where we see uh, the, the shaping of these sentences has kind of an order to them. So on one end, you bunch together, honor everyone and honor the emperor. 
Next comes love, the brotherhood, and the central line really is fear God. So we'll start with honor everyone and honor to the emperor. This, it's almost a little bit of a joke because we talk about the emperor at, uh, on one hand as being supreme. Because in our world, the, the president is supreme, has a great deal of pres, uh, power. The governors are supreme. But on the other hand, he says, so honor them and honor everyone. In other words, they're just like everybody else. They may have a high position, but they're like everyone else. And so we, as the people of God, should be those who live honorably and honor others. That should especially be true within the brotherhood. Last night, uh, as we sat together as men in a big circle, we had a time of honoring each other. Man, it was sweet. Just to love on each other, to say, you know, I see that. I see that in you. I see what, you, you know, you, what you're doing, you're being faithful. I see that. And to voice that, to love the brotherhood. As we think about honoring everyone, as we think about honoring the emperor, honoring the president, how does that hit you? We see a, a, a president... Whichever flavor a president is. Do you have words of honor for them? I know, we're struggling. <laughs> but they don't live in an honorable way. Same thing. Same thing Peter is living in. But we have responsibility with a power that is given to us to live in an honorable way and to find ways to honor those who are in power. That does not mean we have to agree. That does not mean we don't have to stand up for what is right. But we have to live in an honorable way. Amen. Love the brotherhood. And most importantly, realize this is all under God, the Godhead. Fear God. We do these things not because we fear man, but because we fear God. The next group he faces is the servants. He says in verse 18, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only, to do, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. If you were with us not too long ago, we were going through 1 Timothy. And in 1 Timothy, there is another passage about servants. And when we read these things, we feel a little bit uncomfortable, don't we? How, how, what does he mean that servants, shouldn't he be saying something to the masters? Shouldn't he be throwing off this idea of slavery that is a terrible trouble to our nation? Well, he's speaking to a different time. The, this time in, the, in which Peter's speaking, slavery is a different kind of slavery than we, uh, that we saw in North America and in the West. In, in this time, a slave, well, in fact, almost everyone probably that he's writing to is a slave. There are probably no masters in this church. So as he writes to them, he's writing to people who will hear this message and understand. They'll understand because uh, servants in that time, they were, they were often, they were usually working off something. So unlike the slavery that was in America, there was a time limit in which they were slaves. 
that slavery was not according to a certain kind of ethnicity. There were certain rights that were given to slaves. And most everybody was a slave. That's unlike the, the kind of slavery that we had here. And in 1 Timothy, we also see for those who bought and sold slaves, it was like the worst kind of sin. So the Bible's not encouraging slavery here, but he's recognizing with, even within that institution, there is a responsibility to those who are servants. Those who are in the difficult position. See, he's not talking to, he's not talking to the emperors. He, he's not talking to the masters. He's talking to those who are needing to understand how they live out their royal position underneath someone else's authority. And so he says to them, be subject. Once, once again, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. So you have a responsibility to, to live under, live faithfully and honor those who are in authority above you. Even if it's not fair, even if they don't treat you justly. If they treat you justly, that's fine, but if they teach you unjustly, something even greater happens as you do this gracious thing and you endure unjustly. You suffer unjustly. God is using that for even better experience, even a, a better truth being revealed in your life. It is one thing for people to see that you are faithful in good times, but for you to willing to suffer, your, to, to you yourself suffer for the sake of some others. Now that's something else. Verse 20 says, for what credit, credit is it if when sinning and you are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to, the, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins and in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Jesus suffered so that others might see the glory that God was going to reveal. And now he calls you and me as priests in this heavenly work to suffer for others as well. You should expect to suffer, to lose. I would tell you, I see so many, it's so many of us Christians, we don't like to lose, right? No one likes to lose. We don't like someone being over us. But we have been called underneath these institutions to live as great citizens, to, to live as great servants, as great employees. So that even if people don't agree with us, they can see the good works and say, there's something different about that person. And I want to know what it is. We do this not just for their salvation, not just for their hope, we don't do it just to, in order to get along. In fact, we don't have to do those things to get along because we have been taken care of in Christ. So we can move forward and be faithful and we can lose in the short term because we have won in the long term. Hallelujah. 
Augustine's answer. What are the three most important characteristics, traits of a Christian? And he said, humility. 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 As the people of God, if we're going to walk in Jesus' footsteps, Jesus who had all things, Philippians says, although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped. He could have required others to follow and to do as he said, but he didn't do that. He walked humbly and sacrificed himself. He washed feet. He didn't have to do that. When asked if he should pay taxes, he said, Give unto Caesar what is Caesar, and give what unto the Lord what is his. And so we as the people of God should be the best citizens. We should be the best employees. And the the third section is husbands and wives. Here's just this other area where the wife can choose to be faithful to God, even if the husband is not that great. (laughs) In fact, in 1 Peter, it's mainly talking about wives who are married to non-Christians and their responsibility to live under that human institution in such such a way that they might glorify God. We're a people who can suffer because we have different kind of strength a different kind of kingdom. We have a different kind of hope. We can honor the king even if we disagree with him. We can honor our employers even if they didn't give us a raise. Will we be the people of God? How should then we live within these human institutions? We are subject to them. We are subject as people who are free. So live in your freedom. Amen. Amen. Lord, we bless your name and we thank you for your your word. Um, And Lord, we recognize that we will need you to sustain us uh, in these times when uh, we get passed over or we don't get our way or it seems all will be lost. But we trust you. You have always provided in the past. You will always provide in the future. We bless the name of our Lord. And in his name we pray. Amen.